Welcome to Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. And I'm Nathan. This is the night episode. It is. It is. That's that's <laughs> literally the theme. But um, pretty pretty cool episode. Yeah. I, I was pumped about this. I think we say that every time. We pretty, say that every time. Well, we're cool always episode. excited. We put some work into this, right? This is worth your time. This is worth your time. All roughly, I'm going to say one hour and 12 minutes. Is that like an average? It's about, usually we're about one hour and a five to like 115, 116. It's pretty good. At the most, so yeah, I think the best of 2015. That was a long episode, mm-hmm. but that was there's a lot of stuff to cover. But yeah, um, so for our movie of the week this week, we have The Darkness, which is a brand new um, 2016 horror release from Blumhouse. Is mm-hmm. it Blumhouse Productions or just Blumhouse? I believe it's Blumhouse Productions. And uh, yeah, we we both saw that. And then our album of the week is A Moon Shaped Pool, the new Radiohead movie Ugh. album. I've totally messed that one up. It could yeah. be a movie. But um yeah, years and years and actually decades in the making. Mm-hmm. So we'll review both of those and our, our beer of the week is Night Train. Oh wait. Uh, night oh, Rain. Night Rain. Because of a slight copy infringement. But this is um Night Rain from Oso Brewing Company in good old Plover, Wisconsin. Oh, that's a great sound. And uh, it's a porter from Oso Brewing Company, as I mentioned. It measures uh, 6.7% in ABV, 49 IBUs, or International Bitterness Units, and 86 SRM, which are standard reference methods, uh, which indicate color intensity. And I didn't know about that until I saw you. Yeah, post I had never seen that, and there's like a whole spectrum that they can fall on. So um, from the brewer, this complex oatmeal porter is crafted from a ju- or crafted with judicious amounts of crystal and Munich malts for a rich, smooth, and creamy experience. It was voted one of the best porters in the state. That's Wisconsin, of course. Mm-hmm. It's good. I've had it before. Yeah. But I've never had it un- under the name Night Rain. Maybe it's different. Because that threw me off because we were both pretty sure it was Night Train, but when I went to buy this, I saw it was Night Rain, and I like my, my whole reality shifted. I was like, am I in the Matrix? Well, yeah, and when I think when I when I was texting you the beer, what beer we I thought we should do, I was in Woodman's and I passed it. The the O symbol with the it's like a box with two shades of blue, like there's kind of an aqua and then a, a navy. And I was like, oh, Night Train, that'd be great. And I checked Untapped, and I was like, well, I've already had it, but well, at least they didn't change the the, the word Night. Otherwise, we'd... that's true. Then it would be really confusing. Well, we just wouldn't, you know, we would have used a different one. But yeah, obviously it fits in with our, our theme because, you know, the movie The Darkness, it's a horror movie. Yeah. And, and night is dark generally. And a moon-shaped pool, moon obviously comes out at night. And also I think in, in general the album is sort of a darker one. Uh, so it all kind of comes together nicely this week. I think, And I think this is one of our better themed 
like everything's very very put together but kind of somewhat different right a little bit so cool but yeah go check this one out and also has a number of other breweries or beers they have a of lot brewery. of beers and they're they're all good and this one is no exception this is a yeah, delicious I haven't even porter tried it yet. it's it's everything you should have in a porter what do you mm. think good it's, savory it is it's delicious which is uh, i think what a porter should be so on to our um obviously theme night and the definition um it is the period of darkness in each 24 hours the time from sunset to sunrise um, the other definition is a period of time between afternoon and bedtime and evening. Huh. That's the definition. Definitions always kind of surprise me a little bit mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. Except I think violence was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Well, they all seem straightforward until you think about it. That's true. So what does night mean to you after you've thought about it? Well, I mean, the first thing that co- you know came to my head, which is appropriate, was darkness, You know, lack of light, harder to see uh, generally at night most places unless you're very far up north it can at nighttime can uh, is most of the time uh, dark uh maybe it's quieter uh more mysterious because if it's harder to see you can't always you know see what's out there and it makes things a little bit uh more mysterious and and, in general i think the nighttime is even something that some people are afraid of or don't necessarily look forward to if you're afraid of the dark um but i mean it's kind of the proverbial opposite of day and i think that's kind of a cool uh, one of the most obvious back and forths you can do is day versus night. I mean, that's a trope, light versus dark. We see all the time, and uh, we picked the dark one because we apparently <sighs> like really depressing stuff here, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, next week we're doing a comedy. But I, you know what? I am a night owl. I have always been described that way. I, I Even now that I work full time uh, and I work during the day and everything, I still prefer to stay up late. I mean, not as late as I used to be able to, but... Uh, I, I get like a second wind when it gets dark out. Interesting. So what about you? Well, I kind of had the same stuff. And I I think, I think thought of darkness when I sat down and actually thought about it at night as like the, almost a good way to describe it as the movie, a movie we reviewed on the show, The Witch. Oh, mm-hmm. And in those days, I thought to myself, like how horrifying night must have been. Because you didn't really like nowadays we in this room, we have four lights, which I don't think we need. And like it's like like darkness, we've kind of overcome it. Night, we've overcome it with lights, and and we're kind of used to that. But back in the day, it was pitch black. Like mm-hmm. at nighttime, that was it. It was game over for the day. Didn't we talk about that too when we talked about the witch? Yeah. How like that movie does a great job of just capturing that when you, unlike most horror movies, when in in reality, if you have a single candle in one room, it's still pitch black. Pitch basically. black, and that's what I, I thought about and. You know, if like you heard a rustle in a, a shed or something like that back then, you just had to kind of sit there and wait. Whereas nowadays, like I we have fly, I have like five flashlights upstairs that I could just click and then oh, I see it's a raccoon or you know. But yeah, I think it, back then it must have been just so horrifying. Well, maybe like for some people, but yeah, just, I think just in general, just the simple townspeople kind of yeah. yeah scary stuff. The night that's why people sleep at night versus the day. That's true. Although some people are like night shift um, right. folks, they reverse there, but they have like zero light shades and stuff you can buy. Yeah, to reverse that. That's true. That'd be a weird life. But onto our uh, our high priority news items. Uh, George Lucas. I, this is the first I've heard of this. Is building a museum somewhere. This um, is the first time you've heard of this. I, I I honestly I don't know. I think I 
might have skipped over it a few times. Okay. But yeah, I I I had no clue he was building a museum. My, my first comment, just reading the headline before I read the story, was, "Is it a, like a Star Wars museum?" It is a Star Wars museum. So it, yeah, and some of the things that they're gonna have here, wherever they choose to finally get it up, is uh, like a full size replica of the Millennium Falcon that you can walk through and everything. I mean, it's gonna be it's amazing. Gonna be a, yeah, it's gonna be a major draw. But yeah, it's um, it was slated to be built in Chicago, and now Los Angeles, San Francisco are possible um, possible destinations. There's some famous artists, if you're into that, uh, Howard Chandler Christ, N.C. Wyeth, and Norman Rockwell will have some work. Well, the, the reason, though, I think the primary reason, and I have been following the story, uh, you know, before, even before this happened, but, uh, it, they, I mean, this had been pretty much set down to a T to be in Chicago. I mean, they were weeks away from breaking ground. I mean, this thing was ready to go up. But apparently there's some group, I don't really know all the political backgrounds of it, there's some group that doesn't like the location they picked because it's uh, it's sort of like a, it's ultimately just, from what I understand, sort of a glorified parking lot, but there's some environmental stuff where they're afraid of getting rid of the, this grass and some trees that are there, and there was this one very outspoken organization in Chicago that didn't want this to happen, so they were able to, to bar it from happening, and, and Lucas was kind of fighting with him, and for the last couple of months, hoping hoping to come to some sort of resolve because again they were like I remember there was even a breaking of a groundbreaking like schedule. I mean this thing was ready to go up. So they were like right. Yeah, and so now apparently after all this battle, he said whatever. Like okay, so he's gonna take it to California. It sounds like Ugh. it's a bummer because I mean you know we live in Wisconsin and uh, Chicago is real close mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you know and, and and that i was really excited for the last year or so following this because it's like man i could it's a that's a day trip to go down yeah. to chicago and and go to this museum and check it out and stuff but now it's like if i want to go if me, you and i want to go obviously this isn't an issue for everybody but we have to go to california yeah which is a flight versus a yeah two hour ish drive or whatever it is it's more than that it's like three yeah, four three or four yeah because we just, uh, I what was that? What was that? I think it was two years ago, or was it last summer? Uh, my wife and I went to the Walker Stalker Con. Oh right, which I was remember. the Walking Dead conference, mm-hmm. if you want to call it a conference. It wasn't really, but um, they we went to that, and it was like one day we saw everything. So it was like okay, cool. And then uh, we did like the museum tour, which we both I think were kind of like, oh, this is gonna be so corny. But it was actually, I mean, I had a great time. I think it's it's really entertaining to have that there too. Though that'd be another draw well it would have been a huge thing and there would have, there it would have created a decent amount of jobs too not just for the construction but for staffing it uh and obviously it would draw a lot of attention we are we'd you'd see a lot of celebrities and all that stuff there directors and everything um but it doesn't sound like it's gonna happen so you know as long as they can still get it made uh, you know yeah. i don't want to complain too much because as long as this still happens because i think we're to a point with with star wars that uh a museum a permanent museum for it is is definitely appropriate absolutely absolutely and you know i i know that there's the you you talk you've talked about it on the show that kind of museum farm thing where they have every piece of star wars memorabilia ever oh oh, yeah it's called rancho obi-wan it's a that's just an independently run museum where where, uh one main guy i don't remember what his name is sam something but uh him and other people they run a yeah it's just uh an independent collection uh, it's the largest collection of star wars memorabilia in the world and you go there and it's this whole tour 
and you see all these different toys from all the movies and everything. Yeah, and I feel like this would have been like an official like museum, you know, like the the right. full blown Well, you would see props and costumes, replicas of everything you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it would all be very state of the art, so even some things we can't we couldn't can't even imagine right now. Yeah. And I know that uh Rahm Emanuel, who's the mayor of Chicago, he's dead set on having this in town, so it doesn't sound like well, it's gonna we'll happen. See. We'll so see. again, there's, from what I understand, George Lucas is, is basically giving up on Chicago because they want to start making it now on the Irons because it's going to take a, a couple of years to, to, to complete. And Star Wars is sort of at its peak right now. So you yeah. kind of want to get... Ta- really good timing. Right. So yeah, and um, we'll cover the next story in, I think, Movie of, movie yeah, of the Week area. That's a good so. idea. But yeah, so um, when we come back, we will do our Movie of the Week. Again, it was uh, The Darkness this week. And in the breaks, you're going to be hearing music from the brand new Radiohead album, A Moon-Shaped Pool. One thing I'll say quickly is I probably am only going to be able to put together two songs from this album. Okay. Um, I don't think copyright things would be an issue, but I, I don't want to push things. And I know there's two songs that are pretty readily available and pretty easy to put out there. Um, so you might only hear uh, two songs, a couple different parts of those two songs from this album, just because... Uh, there, there's not a wide distribution for this record yet, and um, I just want to make sure we're not breaking any laws or anything. Yeah. Just so you're aware. Even though we're critiquing this album. Yeah. I, I'm aware of that. I'm but just, even still. Just so everyone knows, if you hear the same song twice, you know, go listen to the, album, the whole album. There you go. That's yeah. your cue. So that's that. Again, and this has been Weekly Neurosis. This has been Weekly. That's no. it. <laughs> They're kicking down the door right now. No, but um, we'll be right back. Movie of the Week coming up next again in the breaks. Music from A Moon-Shaped Pool by Radiohead. neurosis i'm nate relax i'm ethan yeah no so welcome into our movie of the week segment our weekly segment where we review a film this one's motion picture motion picture of recent origin well it's not always yeah but uh this week we reviewed the horror film the darkness Mm. not the band which we've seen in concert oddly enough Mm. but um there's also at least one other horror movie called yeah, Darkness. There were a couple in the IMDb search. Yeah. Anyways, so, this is the new one. This is the new Darkness. Mm. So the plot is a family returns from a Grand Canyon vacation haunted by an ancient supernatural entity they unknowingly awakened and engages them in a fight for their survival. The cast is Kevin Bacon, Rada Mitchell, uh, David Masseuse, Lucy Fry, Matt Walsh, Jennifer Morrison, Ming-Na Wen and Parker Mack. Uh, the crew is directed by Greg McLean. Music. Who, let me interlude. Who? Greg McLean, who previously directed two outstanding horror movies called Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek 2. 
how he went from that to this is beyond me, but we'll talk about that later. We'll get into it. Uh, music by Johnny Climac or Climac. Uh, cinematography by Toby Oliver. It was produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions. Matthew Kaplan, Bianca Martino, Greg McLean. Uh, it was written by Shane Armstrong, S.P. Kraus, and once again, Greg McLean. Uh, the filming locales. The principal photography began in April 2014 in Los Angeles, and filming ended in May of 2014. It's so a very, very short filming period uh, for a total budget of $4 million. Uh, the final notes were that the film was shot with the camera, the Ari Alexa Plus 4 to 3 ratio. Which doesn't, because this movie was not no in that ratio. So I, I, that's probably just the name of this camera. Yeah, and it was just from the research I did, it was kind of, it's like a newer release or newer brand of camera. Sure. So it's like, it was like a brand new, no one, nothing has ever been shot on this before type deal. But uh, it was according to the film cinematographer, Toby Oliver, so Ethan what did you think about this film? Well, overall, I did not particularly care for this. Um, unfortunately, like a lot of theatrical, theatrically released horror movies, um, especially the PG-13 ones, which this is, um, I found it very dull. It was very predictable. It wasn't particularly scary. I didn't really care for any of the characters. None of the performances were that great. Um, but, you know... it. it I, th- I think this movie is really getting harped on by a lot of critics and audiences and stuff. And while I don't think this was, uh, you know, the best movie and it may be not, not the, the most well-made movie and certainly not the most creative movie, I didn't I didn't hate it. Um, I thought there were some uh, creepy moments, some really great visuals. And overall, I mean, I like the concept of what they're doing. It, they just didn't do anything with it. I just, for the most part, I, I was amazed with how slow-paced it was and... Not in a good way. Uh, I'm all in for a, a slow burn horror movie. And, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of this, I was like, all right, I see what they're doing here. This is pretty cool. But then another 30 minutes went by and really nothing had happened. And, and I kind of was like, well, I can see exactly where this is going um, based on just, I mean, it's pre- if you've seen three movies that are like this, you're going to know exactly where this is going. Um, so overall, I was very disappointed, especially like I, I just said with the, the director, Greg McLean, who's previously made some really solid horror movies. And if you've ever seen Wolf Creek or, or Wolf Creek 2, they're like stunningly violent and realistic and gritty. So for him to go from something like that to something that just feels so neutered was so, sort of a shock to me. And just, yeah, so overall, I was not in, into this very much. Yeah. And it was pretty much the same for me. I the way the movie starts, and again, I won't spoil anything, but you expect a lot to happen, and then it just it just slows, and it goes to kind of this, you know, there's little things where it peaks up here and there. My big issue is really the the plot was just so utterly ridiculous, and and so like just I, they if they would have just like switched a little bit because every family member has something wrong with them, yeah. you know, and we won't get again won't get into specifics, but. It's like, come on, well, you know. Thought, and there's a lot of like stuff in the, in the, in throughout the movie where you're like, come think, on, oh, just come on. That's like, not what bothered me because I, I mean, it, th- th- that's a trope of a lot of horror movies like this. Even ones that are, are much better than this. I mean, I think a, a common a commonality with horror movies is that you're you're seeing these very broken people, and in this case, it's this. It's a broken uh, family, right? On the yeah. on the surface, it's this very broken family, and everybody's got these issues. And then, of course, this even worse thing happens, and they have to come together to get over it. Yeah, 
no, so I, that, I guess that didn't and bother it, me. It, it, I did, again, it was kind of a, a minor heart, but my 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 biggest qualm, and it sounds stupid, is that this this movie at at numerous points uses like scary music, like this like kind of builds it up to go nowhere. Yeah, that one and left. That's... It was like it wasn't like left and right, but it was like it, they just it, it happened again, and it was like minuscule little things like Kevin Bacon is walking down a hall and this music goes and then boom, nothing happens. And it, it, they did it again and again and again. again yeah. Cause to do it once or twice and kind of have the false thing is one thing, but to do it over and over again. Yeah. I totally agree because even compared to other PG 13 horror movies, at least those moments build up to like even a cheap jump scare or something. I, I there are so many scenes in this where it builds up to nothing and, and they maybe see something slightly creepy and that, like, I think a good example of that is the first like five minutes of this movie before you even see the title and everything where this isn't a spoiler. It's just how it goes. The family is like having a picnic out in the desert and, you know, they're by the, these cliffs and they, they, the kids go exploring. You know, it, I'm used to there being these sort of cold openings or some sort of a massive jump scare or visual or something to be like, holy crap. But and there, there was a couple things where I was like, what is that? That's kind of interesting. But then it just... Like they drive away and it fades to black and says the darkness. And I was like, that was the weakest yeah. opening I'd ever seen to a horror movie. And it kind of blew me away with how, like you said, it just kind of kept happening and happening. And every now and then there would be something creepy or cool. And again, overall, I think I, I think the, the, the plot here, the, the concept of what's going on, while it's not anything original, I think there's potential for some really creepy, really disturbing, interesting stuff. But this movie has no interest in going there. No, and they could have, I, again, if you took this to like an R rating, let's say, and had that content, I think you could have, given what's going on, you could have taken it to a really dark, dark-ish dark place. But I, even from the beginning, I don't think they really, Yeah, it wasn't there. And, and it's not, it's because it seems like this would make like a really effective short film. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, some really intense things do happen towards the end of this movie, but there's just so much kind of poking around and nothing and... And, and, and I think one of the major issues is is that the characters just aren't very interesting. And if you're going to have this slow burn movie where that it's all about showing the, 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 the faults of each individual in this family and how they're all sort of struggling with their own little things, you have to have interesting characters. And like we said, Kevin Bacon is, is the father in this. And he's a, he's a big name. I mean, he's a very famous man. And his character could have been played by anybody. Anybody. Yeah. And he... All he is is a, like a stressed out dad, right? You know that's pretty easy to find. And even in uh, who is the uh, the the actress who played the wife, Rada Mitchell? She was in Silent Hill previously. I've seen her yep. in some other stuff. And uh, yeah, she was the same way. And even the kids, the the daughters, crazy. You know, she like, was like out of control. Yeah. And I, maybe that's I don't have kids, so I don't know. But may, like maybe that's common for a, you know a, a, a teenage girl. To be that out of control, but I definitely wanted to just be like, just shut up. <laughs> just yeah, and the kid. The problem with the kid was he. I think the youngest son is supposed to be kind of the catalyst in this story. Well, he really is kind of the central character and everything. And, but he's very. He doesn't say. He doesn't say a lot for reasons that right. you can find out. But he. That's the thing. Is it's. It, that's. I think that's kind of. No one is really kind of jumping off the page at you. No. Yeah, the kid was so. I, I I think I'll give it at least give this to the kid. Uh, was I thought he was the best of everybody here, because I at least understood why his character was sort of so one dimensional. They explained that pretty well with why he was the way he was. 
Um, but yeah, he, I mean, there's just a whole lot of nothing interesting going on. And maybe if this is the first time you've seen a movie like this, if for some, in some magical world, you've never seen a horror movie or a thriller that has this sort of broken family trope at the center of it, this might be more interesting to you. But I was just like, I get it. Mm-hmm. We've seen it a hundred times. And unfortunately, some of these, these big name actors were just, they were totally wasted in this. Yeah. Role. That was a bummer. Yeah, and I felt like Kevin Bacon's character was very limited in what he could do. There was never, they never really gave him the chance to to branch out. Even in like big moments in the film, he's still kind of just there, going through the motions. Yeah, and it and there's <laughs> if you if you hate convenient uh way like convenient info dumps in your movies like this where there's a central mystery where oh there's ghosts or demons or what's going on and what's at the center of this. How are we going to explain what's going on? And and this is one of the movies where they Google bad smells in home and find one two-minute-long YouTube video that conveniently explains everything. <laughs> that's, right. that's co- And it happens like two or three times in this movie where Man, they just I, Google, like, my house smells funny, and then they yeah. find ghosts are killing your children kind of thing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, and that's... Uh, and those yeah. are... You know what? And, and I'm a big horror fan, and those, those are things that don't really bother me that much. Generally, in movies like this, I'm very forgiving of it, which is why, overall, I think if I would have watched this movie on Netflix or something, I would have been fine with it. I would have been like, that wasn't great, but, you know, it had a story... Because I, 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 I didn't really care for this movie, but I was, it wasn't awful. I didn't think it was, like, the worst thing ever. It was just incredibly dull. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I guess part of me is is forgiving of some of those those tropes, those cliches, because as a horror fan, I kind of like those tropes. I like seeing those tropes, even if I see them over and over again. But this was one of the most sort of mundane ways I've ever seen it done before. So I, I don't know, man, wasn't into it very much. Yeah. And my another thing, not to not to like knock them, and this isn't necessarily a negative, but the like a movie we reviewed two or three weeks ago hush where they were like also a blumhouse movie also a blumhouse movie where they they're actually like on like google and on these things like this is like some faw youtube and faw google and it's like yeah come on just you know that's another thing where it's like come on and then the the sir i agree with you though the search was how how does that happen how does that happen and it wasn't like if you're gonna do that cool but kind of progress it like have a scene near the beginning where they start a search and they sort of get led down the trail and maybe they have to go to a library and find something there and then they go talk to the professor even though those things i've just said are also cliche at least that's more of a story arc because it was literally nothing happens for 45 minutes google ghosts smells in kitchen faucet on and then you get this video where it's like this is the name of the demon that's in your house and killing your family. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was too it was too quick. It was too yeah. convenient. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Not not a theater movie. I think we we no. both we said that off air. No. But what would you rate this though? Um. Uh, three point five out of ten. Um. Again, because I I think there were some cool visuals. I I like the overall concept. There's some real potential here. Uh, in general, I'm forgiving of this movie, this, this movie, but man, it was just dull. I have no interest in ever watching this again, and I really have a tough time recommending it. So, 3.5 might even be a bit generous, but it wasn't. Again, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It was just dull. It was just dull. Yeah. How about you? I didn't even three. There you go. I think it was. Um, 
not I don't I don't feel necessarily generous. I thought there I got there's some there's some interesting spots in the film. For sure. And they did good stuff with ish with the CGI in yeah. spots. Yeah, and what I in the, I, we're not spoiling anything here not that, that not that there's really much to spoil, but yeah, there there was a little bit of CGI, but it was tasteful, I thought when yeah. it was done. So yeah. much is left to the imagination, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, uh, you know, if you're going to leave everything to the imagination, you need to have some really great characters and dialogue. And this movie didn't have that. There's a a really bad shadow, window shadow special effect, I'm pretty sure. I know what you're talking about. Wow. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw that and I was like, this is just. Because there were, I mean, there were some, a couple moments in this where I was like, holy crap, like that's crazy. Like there was a couple of kind of shocking moments that weren't even necessarily jump scares and a couple visuals near the end of the film that I was like, this is pretty cool. Like there's a good concept here. I just wish they were being used in a, in a much more effective way. Yeah. And they, yeah, they didn't, they didn't take advantage of anything, any of their strong points. That's kind of what led, led them to where they were at. But yeah, it's just a, it's a bummer because you know, horror has really gained a reputation for being so bad. And a lot of people say horror is dead and it's bad. And uh, I don't agree with that because I do think there's every year there are exceptional horror films that come out, but unfortunately they are not theatrical releases uh, most of the time. Yeah. Um, and this movie is just another one that if you're a skeptic on these horror movies and you go see, you're just going to be like, see, they all suck. Um, so it's unfortunate because movies like this sort of give horror a bad name. And I think there is a place for a movie like this, but it shouldn't be in the theater and wide release. Yeah. Getting somebody like Kevin Bacon for this is just a way to to get a couple of people who show up to the movies randomly to see something and see his name like i think you had mentioned this that you see the name kevin bacon there's a couple people who are going to go see go see it because it's kevin bacon he was in footloose he's using a lot of great and tremors lots of, bro lots of yeah tremors he's in yeah tremors tremors that's a great movie that is this will be on netflix um, oh yeah but 80 percent sure this will be like a midnight movie on the sci-fi channel in a year yeah yeah they have their place and it's got the most generic come on the tight the darkness yeah that's like the most generic title ever and again this bums me out because this director has shown me that he is incredibly brave behind the camera as a horror director if, if you have not seen wolf creek or wolf creek 2 i recommend him. wolf creek i'm gonna go check that out dude you should they're great and they're, they're australian films um i'm guessing the director oh no i have seen wolf creek Never mind. the first wolf creek is similar to this in that it's super slow but that movie has a great payoff and wolf creek 2 is like just breakneck the whole way through i've seen i've not seen two i've seen one though. and actually i need to verify that i don't know i'm not a hundred percent that he directed the second one I'm just using my Google, Google using, finger. Yeah. He did. He did direct the second one as well. And that's, man, that's really disappointing. Seeing him go from something as just violent and visceral is, is Wolf Creek to something that's just so watered down. And Only, only and I again, I'm, I'm sure there's not just, but only a handful of movies have been shot in probably such a short period of time and been like, over the top amazing whiplash whiplash was that's, that's it took a, them 17 days to film but like i said a handful blumhouse production blumhouse production boom also uh one of the actresses in this who i think only had like one scene was uh, ming na wen um if you watch 
Marvel Agents of Shield, the, sh- the the TV show which I've been watching on Netflix, she's one of the main characters in that. Yeah. So when I saw her pop up in this, I was like, oh, cool, cool, that's her. And then she's kind of like, oh, I give you the number of this this doctor, you know. And that was it. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> it's lame. Kind of. Kind yeah. of, sort of. So yeah, not the best movie. Don't waste your money and go. I, I don't think this is even a five dollar Tuesday. No way, dude. Deal. If you watch this movie, wait for it to be on Netflix or or whatever, or Amazon Prime or Hulu Plus or whatever. Whoever buys it, unless like if you're like a hardcore horror fan and you want to support the genre and you know go for it. I mean, your mind is your your mind has probably all already been made up. You've probably seen it already. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. What you this one can wait, and if you if all of this turns you off, just never watch it. You'll probably be okay. Yeah. You'll be in, in a better place. Yeah. So on to our uh, high-priority news items. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, we talked about that pretty in-depth last time, mm-hmm. uh, hit a pretty big milestone uh, with the recent success of Captain America Civil War. Uh, it just recently surpassed $10 billion grossed worldwide uh, since the 2008 release of Iron Man, which is crazy. It's a huge amount of money. Yeah. 13 movies, 10 billion. That's almost a billion per movie. That's crazy. But most of that money has been made since the Avengers. Because if you look at the worldwide totals from like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, the first phase of those movies, they all barely made like uh, half a billion worldwide. But you get Avengers and Avengers 2, they're making 2 billion plus a piece. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. And they're honestly there. I actually read a whole piece about how they kind of co-market these films with like fast food and cars and stuff. And it just, it's a machine. It's it is. A, an absolute machine. People well, and, Dis- are, and Disney owns Marvel now too. And they have all the money. All yeah. of it. So big. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. 10 billion total. And it's going to keep going up. Yeah. Year over year. And the other thing that's, I think it's still going right on right now, but the Cannes uh, Film Festival, mm-hmm. spelled K, or sorry, oh man, C-A-N-N-E-S, Cannes Film Festival. Um, right now, it's kind of like the business hub of kind of the, wouldn't you say, foreign films? Not necessarily. Not, it's like some American, but it's more the indie. Sometimes. A lot style of, the, a lot of the, the movies you see that are, are hyped later in the year for Oscar contenders get their premiere at Kane or Khan or whatever the hell you, however you, pr- you pronounce it. And uh, there's always movies that nobody has ever heard of that just make a huge splash. And, and there's, they can be star making star breaking movies too. Um, but it's just a huge festival. And I like to look at the lineup uh, every year after it's done, because a lot of the movies, if you were to <laughs> look at going into it, you'd be like, I don't know what any of these movies are, but a- after this, you hear which ones are good, which ones maybe aren't so good. Um, but it's kind of the thing where they give out the, what are they, the, what are the awards they give out the Palm to or, yeah. which is like their best picture. And if you look up the history of the movies they've given that, it can be pretty interesting to see which directions they go in, but they definitely are more of the art house type crowd. varieties. Yeah. But, um, yeah, all the usual players you'll see in these kind of, I don't want to call them, it's not an indie film. I guess art house is kind of a good way to describe it, but. Um, Amazon Studios, XT, STX Entertainment Group, The Weinstein Company, and Stone, Sony Entertainment, they've all picked up several films already mm-hmm. that are going to be distributed. I know um, Netflix had a big 
splash some documentary or something like that but okay yeah like you said it's uh it's a pretty big deal it is it's sort of the you know we 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 talked about the oscars week after week for a while and um a lot i mean this is sort of the first step there and not, not i mean that's not always true because so, i mean just because you're you're a big hit at, at this festival doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to win a bunch of oscars but it's sort of the place to look when you're like all right so if i'm going to get into this oscar race later this year what movies could i expect to see again and this is a good place to start so if you're interested in that check this festival out uh I, i'm sure most of most people who are into film have heard of it at least um in one way shape or form yeah and you'll see numerous films released over the next couple months on in theaters probably limited release and and dvd blu-ray um with awards from this festival because it's a it's a big deal we could look up some of the names of the movies but again it wouldn't mean a whole lot right now yeah without trailers i mean like you said companies amazon weinstein company sony they're buying these movies that were produced for wider distribution so when these movies when they start to advertise for them when they come up uh, with a way to angle them towards certain audiences you'll be able to see more because a lot of these movies will have huge a-list performers in them yeah and what oh gosh i should have written it down they, yeah, you're right, though. There was one that was, like, shocking how many, like, major actors were in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that's right. And some of these are even, like, 2017 releases. Oh, yeah. That's how far, far out they're looking. Some I, of these are, pro- like, projects people are going there and talking about. So, mm-hmm. very future. It's almost like kind of the future, like, I don't know, investing in futures, I guess, is a way to sure. put it. Same, no, no different. But um, onto our weekly segment, By the Numbers, where we um, go through the top five grossing movies in these United States of America and also the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Do you want to start? Sure. All right. So number five this week is Mother's Day. Made uh, just over three million this weekend in its third week in theaters. And uh, total gross of twenty eight point seven million, so it made its its twenty five million dollar budget back. Um, on the way out though, yeah. So Mother's Day. <laughs> Number four was our movie of the week, The Darkness, a brand new release. It grossed four point almost five million, four point nine five million. Um, in its very first week, which then it is its gross on a $4 million budget. So it's made a profit, mm-hmm. which was, I think that we had off air said the director, no, the producer producer said, if this makes four to 5 million in its first week, it's a financial success. Yeah. If you just Google Blumhouse productions and look up the list of their movies and the budget on them, they aim for these super low budgets and they always make their budget back. Some of them aren't great like this one. But they have made some legitimately great films, both horror and otherwise, in the past. Whiplash. Whiplash, dude. Freaking Whiplash. Bruh. Bruh. Whiplash. Bruh. All right, so number three is another new release this week. I believe this movie was directed by Jodie Foster, Money Monster, which made $14.7 million this weekend on a budget of $27 million. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You don't I don't believe- know if that one will break. Well, maybe. It has yeah. George, George Clooney. Yeah, but... Rolling. People like... The biggest name celebrities like Brad Pitt and, and George Clooney, people like that don't necessarily make a movie a hit. And I think, like, it, it just kind of shows that 
you know, somebody like Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is, is, is somebody who draws in a lot of money. But I don't think George Clooney is necessarily a big box office draw. He's one of the most famous people in the world, certainly. But this movie didn't make a lot of money in its first week. No. And it was pretty heavily marketed. Right, because it looked like a sort of, you know, somewhat of a political statement film about a man taking over some TV station in protest of something going on in Wall Street. And he wants reparations. I mean, it looked pretty interesting. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I remember I first saw the trailer for this when we saw Hail Caesar, I think it was. Yeah. So that was only three, four months ago. And I remember thinking, like, how have I not heard of this before? It just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. You got big name people in here. Isn't Julia Roberts in this? Yeah, she's like kind of the controller person, you know. Mm -hmm. Huh. Moneymaker. Hope it it makes its money back. Hope it. (laughs) That's funny. Uh-huh. Continue. No. <laughs> Number two is uh, the Jungle Book, a movie we reviewed a few weeks back. It made seventeen million dollars, bringing its total gross to three hundred and eleven million in its fifth week in the top five, basically, mm-hmm. um, on a budget of one hundred seventy-five million. Done very well. Yep, and uh, you know, again, these 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 movies aimed at kids always stay in the top five. So this one, is the, this thing has been just holding on. I think we might see it start to fall off because the Angry Birds movie is coming out. So yep. that might take a lot of its um, uh, audience away. But, uh, I mean, whatever. It's already made $300 million just in the U.S. So that's pretty amazing. All right. So then the number one movie is Captain America Civil War for the second week in a row. Made $72.6 million, uh, bringing its total domestic gross up to $295 million on a $250 budget. $250 million 250 dollars. that'd be amazing 250 bucks 250 million dollar budget so you know this thing is unbelievable it's gonna cross a billion super easily and just and these are all like the united states numbers right so internationally this film is i do think it's getting very close to a billion but it will definitely cross that threshold uh which uh you know batman versus superman was was the last one that everybody thought was going to make you know, cross that that billion dollars, but it didn't quite get there. Yeah. Um, and this one did, but you know, that's because the critics are being paid off, right? Yeah. It's I a, gave the it's movie. A, it's a conspiracy. You know, I gave the movie a pretty average review, but I didn't get any pain chunk. What's up? What's I up with that? We gotta. I guess I'm not an official critic. I'm just some guy. Out. You're just some dude in the basement, right? <laughs> that's what we are. Drinking just two tequila. dudes in the basement. Ugh. <sighs> yeah. We gotta get into the limelight, man. How are we gonna get there? No, but that's the that's our uh, by the numbers top five. Mm-hmm. I think it'll I think it'll be. Well, let's see, Angry Birds is coming out. That one might take Captain America off. Might because it was a. I mean, if you look, it's at a the, big kids release. It was a big Captain America had a pretty big drop off too. It had a fifty nine point five percent drop, which is expected for big movies like this. But um, the 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 way movies like that make over a billion or even more is because people go to see him more again and again and, and this again. is and that was a movie i liked enough that uh, i might go see it again if i can um well unfortunately something like batman versus superman which was certainly a huge hit uh was very popular it didn't quite get there because i think a lot of people like me i did i i i saw the movie and it was fine but i wouldn't pay to see it twice in theaters um while while i think this movie might have positive enough word of mouth where people are definitely talking about seeing it again or recommending it to people actively so that's why you're seeing that higher 
income i think good movie yeah it helps yeah that's true both of the top two i would strongly agree i think those are the two best films out mm-hmm. last week this week different ball game mm-hmm. so when we come back we'll uh do our album of the week uh radio has a moon-shaped pool and once again in the breaks you'll be hearing music from that album moon-shaped pool just two songs though mm-hmm. it's very hard to stay within the the rules and right. it's hard to get content so we'll be right back with our album of the week once again this is weekly neurosis we will be right back if you fly, you burn. this window no, i'm just kidding <laughs> welcome back into weekly oh, we're, we're, we're live cool we're live as can be hey guys so so now it's time for our um album of the week this week mm. it's radiohead a moonshape pool which ties into our night theme beautifully absolutely perfect so ethan tell us about this album oh so a moon shaped pool is radiohead's ninth studio album this album has been in production basically since 2012 when the band was touring uh the album features content that was uh written several years ago including true love awaits which was originally uh concepted in 1995 and i believe there were some live performance of that song dating back to that time as well uh the album has received exceptional acclaim since it's pretty sudden release and has become their sixth number one album in the uk and a couple other notes on this album is a majority or all of the album was recorded in southern france with longtime producer nigel godrich uh the album was arranged by multi-instrumentalist johnny greenwood who is also the guitarist for the band uh, and some elements were recorded by the london uh, contemporary orchestra as well the, uh, the artwork for moon-shaped pool is created by stanley donwood who like godrich has worked with radiohead for some time so nate what did you think about this here album well i was i should say i was enamored by this album it's very different um it's very very well concepted and put together um i think that this is an album that when i listened to it from almost start to finish it seemed as though everything had been placed very intentionally in a spot and with a few of these songs specifically uh burn the witch was one and i'll just use that as a good that's a very good example because a lot of people listen to that song where there's just so much going on at once and somehow it is it sounds like a symphony mm-hmm. and it was it's it's really there's a lot to think about you have to listen to this album and think about it i don't think you can just like listen to this album straight through tracks one to eleven and be done with it I think it it's, takes a lot of thought, but it's uh, I was absolutely kind of taken aback by this album. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm a big big time Radiohead fan, so I, I've been jacked for this for a while, and and for them to sort of just turn the corner and release a song, and then the whole album a couple of days later, essentially, um, it's pretty mind blowing, and uh, the the result overall is another uh, I mean near masterpiece in my in my opinion um, from from Radiohead. It's uh, 
in a lot of ways, it's it's surprisingly sort of their sleepiest and the and the quietest and, and sort of restrained album. It's it's there's really no rockers or anything like that. The movie or the the movie the album is very again it's restrained and it's very calculated. But uh, every single song is worth listening to. There's not really a moment on it where I I want to uh, uh, skip anything or I'm bored by anything. Even though if I have anything bad to say about this album, I do think that. In terms of the band Radiohead, this isn't necessarily some monumental step forward. They're not necessarily doing anything that they've never done before. But for all intended purposes, this sounds like Radiohead in a way that no other band ever can. I mean, it's instantly recognizable just from the sort of serene, dreamlike way all of the different instruments, which like you said, there's a lot of stuff going on in each one of these songs, but it's all done in a very tasteful and, and kind of interesting fever dream way. And of course, Tom York's vocals, which are instantly recognizable. He's got a you know a falsetto, high pitched voice, but uh, he's in perfect control of it. It accompanies this music perfectly, and I, and I've really been listening to this album almost on repeat. And I absolutely agree that this is an album that you sit and listen to. This is you not. You can't, yeah. If yeah. this is on, if this is on shuffle, no. which I think shuffle, if you're listening to a single band, isn't a good idea, but. If this is on shuffle, this makes, I don't think, I wouldn't say it makes no sense, but. Right, because the song, I think each song on this album, you could listen to and enjoy on its own merits, but seeing it all put together is remarkable. And a few songs, and I didn't make notes on which songs tied together, Uh but a few of the songs tied together, uh, but almost every song that I, and this was incredible that I listened to, I had to kind of sit back and kind of say, huh. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me let's go back to it, and then I I think I listened to like track one twice, and listened to track track two twice, track three twice, and went down that route because it, it it's so there's just so much going on in every one of these songs, mm-hmm. and even more simple songs like and it's not really simple, but daydreaming right. appears to be simple, but when you really break it down, in in you probably have to have like really good headphones to do it, but. Yes. There's just there's so many layers, mm-hmm. and I think that's why they called out the the person who arranged this album because arranging a song is insane is insanely difficult, and to do it at this level, well, right, wow, because you know saying the album is arranged by Johnny Greenwood, who who is their guitarist as well. You got to say that because Johnny Greenwood, there's not a ton of guitar on the album. Really, a lot of the songs here are are, are, are piano driven, but. Uh, Greenwood has made a name for himself outside of Radiohead as well. I mean, he's done the scores for a number of films for uh, my favorite film ever, There Will Be Blood. And I, and actually, there's a couple of songs on here where there were moments where I was like, oh my God, this sounds like something out of There Will Be Blood's music. Uh, he also did the score for The Master and Inherent Vice as well. But uh, it's important to give him that that label of arranger because he's not just playing guitar. He has a very intricate part in putting these layers of orchestration inside of these somewhat simple ballads because yeah daydreaming is a great example where it's the second song in the album it's for the most part a piano ballad that's a very, very like stunningly depressing this whole album is very dark and it's very moody and that particular song which is ultimately about somebody tr- retreating from society and, and going to live on their own and just kind of getting away um, from all the pressures of society and, and, and you know things that kind of bother them uh while it's sort of on the surface very simple 
adding that extra layer of like some ambient elements and strings, even if it's in the background, adds so much um, that I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy to think about how much is going on in these. Even if you, if the first time you sit and listen to this album, I remember thinking to myself like, man, I can't believe how just sort of laid back it was. It didn't seem like there was a lot going on, but yeah, you put your headphones on. You, you sit down and listen, you read along with the lyrics, you are really in for something. And this is an album, like I, I said, I repeat. But yeah. The second it's over, you hit replay because it's just hypnotic. Yeah, and I think another thing too that's almost incredible is that it's really hard to configure what is ele- electronic and what's natural. Mm-hmm. And they kind of toy with that. And they toy with that from the start to the finish and... Um, another one, Dex or Dex Dark. Did I write that down? Dex right? Dark. Yeah. Another again. That's like this layers. Just mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite songs in the album yeah. too. And actually, if you look at the track listing here from the, the beginning to end, the, the the song titles are alphabetically ordered. Yeah. Which that's... makes which is sort of mind blowing because I think we both agree here that this album flows front to back. And I almost wonder if the album was reverse engineered to have that or if they just named the songs sort of conveniently to make that happen because it does add something where Radiohead is a band that's so easy to listen to these albums, read about the background of them, listen to the lyrics, really dissect all the different sounds going on and think to yourself like, man, these guys are just, these guys are geniuses, all the stuff they're putting into this. But maybe, maybe this album was the first time I've sort of listened to one of their albums and been like, I think it's maybe a little there, it's a little bit more simple than that. It's a simpler concept than reverse engineering an album so that song titles are alphabetical. I just think that these guys know how to write songs when they sit down and write songs for an album or take songs from their repertoire. Like we mentioned True Love Witch, which is a song that's been around for 20 years. Um, be, be able to record it in this way and put it on an album where it feels organic, it feels natural. It feels like a part of a whole. It's kind. Of, it's a. Ama- it's it's really incredible. Yeah, and my thought on this album was that I, I think they're such intelligent artists, and they've been doing this for so long, and they know probably in their mind what they want to do next. I think they've had so long to think about this album, and so long to obsess about how is it going to be laid out, how do we want it to sound, you know, all these different elements that they when they got to the point that they were actually going to lay this out and press it, that it, they had just thought everything through almost to the point of not, you can't really achieve perfection with an album. I think that's almost impossible, but that's where they had gotten because because of their elevated status. I think, I think they're an artist, honestly, that at least a few of the band members that are kind of operating on an elevated plane mm-hmm. that are kind of, they're just on a different level than we are not in terms of their like elite to us, but they're just on just kind of a different bandwidth. Right. When it comes to music and songwriting and, and not just that, but putting it together, it's they, they, they are a step above, I think, a lot of people, yeah. um, even in the industry. Um, yeah. they I mean, they just know what they're doing and it's unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't have a lot, really anything negative to say about it. But I, I kind of mentioned before that I do think that in general, this was maybe the first time that I listened to an, a Radiohead album where I thought to myself, like, Okay, well, they're not necessarily evolving as a group. They're sort of honing it when there's nothing wrong with that. So it's not a big knock. But, uh, you know, their album previous to this, The King of Limbs, was, which was, was a lot of people consider it to be one of their lesser albums. I personally put it near the top for me because it's so different for Radiohead. It seems, it seems almost 
like robotic and calculated to to almost to a fault where people were turned off by it and this is a total 180 for that so i think at first i was like wow this is totally different but then i was like no wait a minute here a lot of the stuff they're doing with electronics in the background and, and orchestration that's not new to radiohead they've been doing this stuff before but here they've just sort of perfected it they've done it better here than i think they've done it before and, and i do think this is one of their better collection of, of songs as a band yeah absolutely and i i have no true honest to goodness negatives with this album i think if i had to just nitpick slightly i'd say daydreaming to me it just didn't quite click for me i agree that it was art very artfully put together um and the other one would be glass eye which i i I liked that song don't get me wrong but i thought it was just more of like an intersection and kind of a like a stopping point almost you know it's just kind of there yeah i think though and actually glass eyes is the was kind of the one song where i still think it's a great song but it definitely is sort of the least creative for the band for sure and it kind of is it's right in the smack dab smack dab middle of the album too so it's kind of right there but daydreaming i, I mean i love this song that's one of my favorite songs on here just because uh i think if we want to talk about the lyrics on this album it's just it's 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 kind of the it's kind of the the apex of what this album is doing right it's the the song is just about this guy who and if you watch the the really beautiful music video that they made that was directed by paul thomas anderson so again that connection with uh, johnny greenwood there um it's just it's it's tom york with the song playing walking through all these doors and in and out of these different houses and as it goes on he's getting further and further away from people and the whole song it's just it's like so many songs in this album are like heartbreaking like heartbreaking even though some of it sounds like it would be romantic and sweet if you listen or read along with the lyrics it's heartbreaking and daydreaming is about this guy who cannot fit in and he just wants to get away and be away from people and he's saying things like what does he say daydreamers are fooling themselves is basically what he's saying he's like they just don't get it there you know they're being optimistic but there's nothing to be optimistic about it's kind of it's one of those things where you if you hear somebody in your everyday life say something like that you say like well come on man it's not all so bad but this is tom york this dude's like almost in his 50s if he's not in his 50s already this is a guy who's been around the block a couple times and you really get a sense of who he is which is throughout this album one thing i love about it so much is that it's just so honest and i think the other song in here that um really like lyrically got to me to the point where it's like almost impossible for me to to listen to without getting choked up is the final song true love awaits yeah which it's so i mean again if you just listen to it and try to tune out the lyrics it sounds like it would be the sweetest ballad but if you listen to the lyrics it's just desolate yeah it's it's depressing yeah he's just he's saying that true i mean this title is true love waits and he's he's basically saying it waits for the right moment and it doesn't always come to you uh, but I mean, I think so. Lyrically, this is a really strong album as well. Maybe lyrically simpler too. There, there's not because uh, again, again, I go back to the idea of this is a band you want to dissect and be like, what did they mean by this, this, and that? But I think lyrically speaking, they're pretty straightforward on this album. Yeah, and I'm, I just this is just a thought, and this is a little off topic, but in terms of, I just thought of this, like I should, I think I feel like I should read the lyrics more. Uh-huh. because I think this album's an, an exceptional example. I think we've had others that it's a good example too, but I feel like when you, for me, I always critique things kind of at an elevated stance where I'm kind of, you know, looking above it and trying to figure all these elements out. Do the vocals fit? Does the guitar fit? Does the, you know, everything. 
But I think when you read the lyrics, you're kind of on the ground with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good a good way to go about it. But yeah, I the only one I looked up was True Love Waits because I listened to it. I was like, that, that was a really funny song. I read the lyrics and I was like, good God. Like, yeah. wow. Like, you know. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's definitely, again, not a something you just put on whenever i think this is a really good album to kind of be alone to and listen to and you know you're going to bed or if you're stargazing or something or you're going through something emotional it's something that would sort of ground you um and kind of get you to the place you need to be but my favorite songs on here uh daydreaming of course heartbreaking ballad uh desert island desk which was kind of an interesting track where it was almost just an acoustic song with uh some super amazing ambient and orchestral stuff uh, towards the end of the song maybe my favorite song in the album is called full stop uh it, and this honestly is one of my top radiohead songs ever it's like super epic psychedelic rock like it's sort of a rock song that just builds into this awesome groove and it's just i mean it's a monster i could listen to that song over and over again and then of course the final song uh true love waits which is just heart-wrenching it's really super intense music and uh but i I mean i do like every song on here for the most part yeah i'm into it and for me uh it would be obviously burn the witch Mm -hmm. easy their hit song i just think that song to me it's like if you've ever seen like a, a rope cut that's attached to like a ship like an actual giant cruise ship if you cut it, it like unfurls and it's like this giant mess of rope. I feel like that's that album and they, uh, that album, that song, but they were able to kind of take it full chorus and twirl it back up again because mm-hmm. there's so many elements to it. And there's so much going on. It's probably the loudest song in the yeah, album. Too. It is. And that's, that's what I like. And also my other favorite was a dentic, a dentic hit. Uh huh. Cause I thought it had a great drum line, which drums are not super prevalent. Mm-hmm. in this album no so I, I really liked kind of how that popped out at me right and i think going back to burn the witch i think it's this is just one tiny example that we could go into much more detail of with e- each song and how this album flows front to back and how burn the witch lyrically a big part of it is about panic and and anxiety in public and everything and how that leads into the song daydreaming about a guy who kind of wants to get away from everything it's very conceptual without it necessarily being a concept album uh, it's it's just remarkable yeah. to me. I think this. I think they've been thinking about this for a long, long, long time. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of figuring out. But what would you rate this? One to ten. Um. Well, you know, like I said, I do. I love this album. I almost feel like rating it now is premature because I'm going to listen to it forever. This this album is going to have a super long shelf life. I'm going to discover new stuff. Um, but just because I do think it maybe isn't the step forward for the band I was maybe hoping for instead of it, what it is is them honing what they're great at and, and writing some of their best material. Um, so just because there was some elements of it, I was like, well, maybe I, I was a little disappointed in elements. Uh, I give it a 9 out of 10. But chances are, I mean, in like five or so years, this will have been an album I've listened to hundreds of times. Hundreds. But uh, as it stands right now, 9 out of 10. Uh, one of the best of the year, for sure, for me so far. How about hmm. you? I didn't add an even nine, too. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't. That was my, my pre-planned thing. I thought, I agree with you. I, it's very, to me, I need to take this in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't have a lot of time with it, or enough time. But, yeah, I, there are some areas I didn't really connect with. But, again, the, this is so well thought out. 
so well thought out right but you know and the thing i'm kind of discovering with radiohead is that there there are some people who just i don't like it's super it's such a douchey thing to say they don't get it but there are just some people who do not care for for radiohead and if you haven't liked him in the past uh you're not going to care for this either you're you're, you're might, maybe you're going to find it dull or, or maybe it's too nuanced or whatever and that's not a bad thing if you if you if you're not into it you're not into it but i do i do think that this isn't this kind of goes back to the negative I have towards the album. They're not doing anything here to rope in new fans necessarily. And I don't think they care that much about that. They're doing stuff that they're that's honest to themselves as artists. So if you haven't cared for them in the past, I don't think this is going to change anything. Uh, it's very much uh, stuff we've heard from them before, maybe done in different ways every now and then. But um, yeah, ugh, I don't know. I like I want to listen to it again. It's I, I just it's it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's it's so. And if you, I, I I don't know. I really don't. I don't know what other people would think listening to this, but it's just absolutely mind-boggling in mm-hmm. terms of how you can just sense how well thought out it is, and that they've been thinking about this for such a long, 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 long period of time. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So we don't really have time for. High priority music news. No, don't we had any, but well, what, we had what one. do you, we, we had did, one? Just want to mention the one. Yeah, thing. we probably we probably should. Yeah. Just, it's sad on my, and this is even more sad. My iPad's loading, <laughs> so I can't get straight to it. But um, it's actually an R.I.P. Guy Clark, mm-hmm. who's uh one of the kind of I don't want to say he's a pillar of country music, but he's you know Merle Haggard and him were both sort of staples of the genre, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Gravel, gravel voice, troubadour. I think fits him perfectly. Uh, but he passed away on on May seventeenth. He released over twenty albums and worked with all of the golden age elite, which to me is the best ever of country. Of country. Which uh, that's 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 an opinion. You wanna you wanna cross me? Go right ahead. But Twitter. Twitter. Hashtag weekly neuros um yeah i mean it's a bummer i'm not super familiar with him i I know the name and everything um but it always bums me out to see somebody who clearly made a a pretty massive mark in in one genre or another to pass away but you know all things must end and uh yeah at least he had a long career and made an impact yeah that's true and to make i'm definitely going to seek out some of his music i don't know it maybe i'm a bandwagoner but hey i want to hear it yeah Got a heck of a voice, that's for sure. So, on to obsessions. What are you obsessed about right now? Well, I had to think about this because I wanted to say Radiohead again. Like, I wanted to say Chance the Rapper because he had a new album come out recently as well. But I, to be honest, I got to be honest with myself. I think what I'm really obsessed with is I started rewatching Lost for I believe the sixth or seventh time. Which, if you know me personally, it's my favorite show ever. I don't care what you say. It's my favorite show ever. I love it. And Nate hits his microphone stand. It causes an earthquake sound, and it's terrifying, like the plane crash and lost. But uh, no, I've uh, anyway. I, I started rewatching it again. I have the Blu-ray set. I watched it last year. I think I watched it again. Yeah. But I, I, this time it's a little different because I'm rewatching it with my wife April, who uh, she did. She has seen it all before. We, but it was uh, like seven or eight years ago when she watched it. So I talked her into watching it again. And uh, she's pretty hooked right back into it. And it was kind of something that when I first moved out of my parents' home and went to college and stuff, it was something we sort of bonded over. So it's fun to 
sit down and watch it with her again. And, uh, you know, I just love the show. I love the characters, the story, the mythology. No matter what you think of it or where it goes, that's fine. I love it all, and I'm pumped to be watching it again. So that's what's on my noggin. How about you? On my noggin. (laughs) Well, for me, um, this week the, the Premier League ended. So the season ended. Is it soccer? Soccer. Okay. So there's like a two-month off, three really a three-month off cycle. So that's kind of what I'm obsessed with right now is kind of what's going to happen in Not that time. Not being able to watch soccer for three months? Well, yeah. And the thing is is that um, with with soccer, and it, it pains me to say that because it's football, but with soccer. Oh, I'm sorry. Should with I be saying football, football? With football. European football, we'll just call it that. The – the off season is kind of more exciting than it is in like American football or any other sports. There's the trans what's called the transfer window. So you buy players and you sell players. So it's, it's kind of been interesting because there's all these rumors that go out of who's going to go where and yada, yada, yada. So I've been kind of studying up on that. And I'm also about to wrap up Sopranos. Oh, uh, that's right. So yeah, I might actually jump on lost now. Oh, you've totally. seen it all before, haven't you? I think I'm two two times through. Okay, okay, right. So I was gonna say I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before. Yeah, in the ending. Mm. But you can see I'm not gonna spoil that. So good. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a it's a fun show. Like Pe- it's, people say, there's like this common misconception about the way the show ends, that just irritates me. And I don't want to say it because I don't want to spoil it. But I I can instantly tell if you actually watched lost or you didn't watch lost when you say something like oh well didn't it end with this happening and it's never right they're never right because either you didn't see lost all the way through you very passively watched it because i think the way it ends is amazing i think it's very interesting and i'm sick of people saying like oh they never explained everything i'm like you weren't watching you weren't watching the show apparently yeah because they explained more than enough i know at the very end han solo dies and it's oh, like what, what the hell Ugh. no but Damn it, it, whatever, whatever. It's a it's at, at the bare minimum, it's a fun show. Right, and you I can think go season to season very easily. You you have the capacity to binge watch it now. Yeah, but you know what? I don't recommend you binge watch Lost. I think one of the reasons that the later seasons in the show have have kind of gathered a negative opinion in the recent years is because people do this binge watching thing. Not that they, I have I have no issues with it, but with a show like Lost. There are so many characters. There's so much mythology. There's so much weird science fiction crap and all this stuff of all these different agencies and time travel and all this stuff going on that if you binge watch it, you're going to get the gist of what's going on. But you're going to miss a lot of what really makes the show great because I watched Lost when it was airing and there was nothing like watching an episode and having to wait a week or six months to see the next episode because that was the time when people had their theories and had their thoughts and we really could rewatch the episodes and reflect on what was happening with characters. But when you binge watch a show like Lost, you miss a lot. You miss a lot. Not that you're, you're, you're missing out on everything, but you're missing out on a lot of what makes Lost so interesting, which is thinking about what's going on instead of just saying, Oh my God, that was a crazy cliffhanger. What's what happens next? Then you hit play and you sit and watch five episodes in a row. So if you have never seen Lost before, watch like, three episodes in a row maximum like one or two if you can restrain yourself well there's a lot i'm trying to think of a pretty much every season there's a lot that goes on in every single episode oh it's unbelievable yeah and like there's twists and yeah it's it's hard to keep track of i just love it i love it i don't think it's it's my favorite show i don't think it'll ever anything will ever surpass it (sighs) Uh, lost my code name forever is going to be jack 
Jack, that's right. And then we have a, another friend we call Walter. Walter. I actually met Ellie Wassell. I, that was... <laughs> you remember that? I co- we called uh, another one of our friends Walter. I called him Walter Bishop from Fringe for a while. Yep. You were in my... I forget Who what was year. I? I don't remember. I was just thinking... What, I had you in my phone as that. Because there was something. an Ethan in Lost, but he's kind of a jack, jack off. Because <laughs> I was Jack I was Jack Shepard. Yep. And then... He was Walter Bishop. And then I don't remember what you were. I guess it didn't stick. Damn. It must not be memorable. No, but it was something good, though. It Was it? Yeah. No, Are you it was, sure it about that? It was, like, that? solid. I remember, though. I had my, one of my nicknames in high school was Fallout Boy. Fallout like Boy. Like the band. I get it. I didn't, I've never cared for Fallout Boy, but that was my nickname for a very short period of time. That's, like, my grandpa's story. Like, I saw... Is is that uh, a buddy of mine said, oh, you got to go see this punk rock concert. And it was a Thursday night. And we went to the, I think it was the 3.30 Club, or I don't remember what it, or what it was called. Where's that? Madison? It's like in, it's yeah, it's in Madison in the university. Okay. And we knew a girl that was a student, so she got us in. And it was, there's was only like 200 or so people. There was a tiny little venue, and it was Fall Out Boy. What? Yeah. And it was just, just when they released their first like big album. And there was just tight jeans and pretty actually they were they were more actually baggy like they were kind of in their like like baggy phase at that point (laughs) but they um yeah we just we and we talked with every one of them pete once included i don't know who that is he's i I don't know if he's our bassist or guitarist but yeah saw him right there music my dad saw jefferson airplane with 20 people in a house and he's always like that's my, my dad saw the doors he's probably listening being like i don't know why he would make that ridiculous sound i just made it was like a caw it's like caw. <laughs> my, my dad is a bird like a falcon no. falcon call he's a falcon no but he, he has a really fascinating story of seeing the doors in the in the i believe the late 60s or early very early 70s it would be um, where he was, you know, in classic Jim Morrison form, just hammered, fighting people, and it was the worst ever. But would you go back in a heartbeat? Hell yeah. Lost. Lost. <laughs> what if this episode just Doors. ended with a lost sound? <laughs> that was the end of the episode. That'd be great. And we never, that was actually the end of the podcast. Never again. Just, all right, you're, 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 all right. That's it. No. That's it. We have more fun with that. But yeah, next week, the nice guys. Isn't it the good guys? The good guys? The, the nice. swell guys? I don't, yeah. We'll, we haven't, we'll announce officially on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook what we're doing next week. We haven't quite nailed it down yet. Because the album's a big kicker. I feel like we should do another Obsessions episode soon, right? Coming up. Maybe do obsessions for albums, and then we'll do a Netflix pick of the pick of the month. Okay, I'm down. Find some priceless album on wherever a priceless movie. What? We'll find a priceless movie on Netflix to watch. Is that like our theme? Priceless. Priceless. What if that was what? What if we just did it right there? Don't look at me like that. No, but all right. (laughs) Next week we'll figure it out. We'll have it on. Yeah, we'll announce in the next social couple media days what we're doing. Social channels. Indeed. So yeah, it'll be a good time. Once again, weekly neurosis. This has been the night episode. Very dark. Very, very cold. dark. Just a little bit of moonlight. Just a little bit. But here's a question though. Just Before a we end, a moon-shaped pool that could be many things. 
That could. Is it a crescent shaped or is it just a regular circle? Well, there's however many different phases of the moon. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it, maybe the pool changes, you know? Maybe there's a button. You can make it bigger or smaller. If it was a very small crescent-shaped pool, that would be very... That'd be annoying. You'd have to, like, go, go sideways and sort of wedge yourself in and be like, this is fun. Check out my pool. It can fit five people standing sideways. <laughs> then you'd have to go open and open. You'd have to get bigger over time as the moon progressed. But Oh, that's cool. I want that. That'd be... But then that means like every there every there's like a couple of days every month where you can't go swimming because it's too small or it's not there at all, you know. Then it teaches you. What if that means a moon shaped pool means it's what is it a new moon? Does that mean when there's no like when it's totally blocked out, right? Yeah. Yeah. That just means you don't have a pool, right? It's done. <laughs> That's it. I have a pool shaped. I have a moon shaped pool. You wanna, just don't have a pool because I'll it's tell a you what I want. Moon. I want a full crescent moon shaped bed, a circular shaped bed. That's cool. That rotates? That rotates on top of that. And has speakers in that plays Marvin Gaye when you hit the button? <laughs> I listened to Barry White the other week. We are getting way off topic. Off topic here. All right. Well, this has been the night episode. Yep, and we recorded it at night. At night. Mm-hmm. While listening to Barry White. Nope. And the oh. podcast was all right. It wasn't happening, Nate. No. No Barry White in this room. No Barry White. Hour 16. I said hour 12. Ugh. It's way off. You're wrong. You're wrong. All right. Once again, Weekly Neurosis, I'm Nate. And I'm Ethan. And everyone, please take care.